Hi, I'm Katie Steinberg, and this is Game Changers. Today, we are joined by the one and only Eric Dickerson. Eric, how's it going? Good, Katie. How you doing? <laughs> really good. So happy to um, have you on here today. Thank you. Eric, as you know, is a former Mustang and then former Ram. Um, and congrats on the Rams win. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was excited for the football team. Um, we needed this in here in Los Angeles. We haven't ever had a Super Bowl win, you know, for the Los Angeles Rams uh, in L.A. with all the great teams that we've had here over the years, you know, before we left, you know, 22 years ago. But it's good for the city of Los Angeles. So good. I'm so I'm so excited. I um, I was getting teary eyed towards that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're born in LA. You're, you're a California girl. Yes. I mean, I'm Orange County, but um, the Rams still did California. leave the year I was born, <laughs> but then they came back. So it's all that matters. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so Eric, I know you just um, wrote a book. So it's Watch My Smoke. Um, what inspired you to write a memoir? Well, I've been talking about doing it for a long time. Matter of fact, I kind of started about 15 years ago uh, with a guy uh, that a friend of mine, uh, he was a writer, and he worked over at uh, IU. He was, a, he was a professor at IU. And um, he would visit, and we'd talk, and he said, man, you need to do a book. He said, your, your story is so interesting. Man, I said, he said, well, I'm going to come down. I'm, I'm, you don't mind, I'll stay with you. We just, I just write stuff down, and we just sit out and talk. And we, we did that for probably about two or three weeks, and uh, almost every day. And uh, But in the midst of it, uh, he went back to I, IU and uh, got killed in a fire. He died in a fire. So it just kind of stopped. Yeah, it kind of stopped. And uh, I kept them. I kept the manuscripts that he had, he had sent to me, and kind of forgot about it for a while. And then um, a friend of mine, Gustavo Miguel, who uh, I'd met years later, uh, said the same thing. Eric, man, your story, your life is just so interesting, man. You know, because you know you're different in the way people have portrayed you early in the '80s and the '90s. And uh, he said, man, you know, just some of the stories you tell. My kids always say, Dad, you're the best storyteller. You know, that, you know, he said, you, so you tell great stories. Because, you know, I don't have to make up stories for them. You know, they're going to go to bed or go to school. You go to school and tell me a story about a horse. Or tell me a story about a haunted house. So I'd make up these quick stories. And so um, my friend Gustavo said, man, I'm, I'm going to find you a book writer. I said, okay. And so he went, went through the process of trying to find a couple of writers. And, and um, you know, he went to two or three guys. And it just didn't. They wrote some stuff and I read it. And it didn't sound like me, you know, at all. I mean, it, it's not my not where I would talk, and so that just didn't. Yeah, I mean, I won't forget one was like, I said something. I went, "Golly, gee whiz!" I'm like, "Oh man, please, I would never say no crap like that." That that's is not, not you. <laughs> that's not. That's not. I say, I say, oh shit, <laughs> something's gonna say. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so finally, he found the guy, Greg Hanlon. He said, "Eric, I read a, a book that he wrote. He said it was on a topic that was not very interesting." But he made it so interesting. So I said, I'm going I'm to talk to him. So sure enough, we got with Greg and we started the book and, you know, we stopped and started because we really couldn't find a publisher at the time. You know, it was kind of like hard to find a publisher, you know, because I've been removed from the game for so long. And then we, you know, came up with Haymarket and uh, they, they loved it. They loved, the, they loved the idea. They loved the book. And so and Greg did a fantastic job writing it. I got to say, when I say the book sounds just like me, I just did the audio book a couple of weeks ago. It sounds exactly like myself. I mean, I'm proud of it. The audio book was very difficult to do, but but the book itself sounds like it and tells my story. I mean, and and one thing that people know about me, Katie, you know, you're too young to know you actually you you a little girl. You know, I keep it 100. I mean, I'm I'm straight up. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm no I'm no nonsense. I mean, even by myself. I mean, I'm not no none. I'm I'm not I'm not the guy that won't call myself out on something too. I call myself out on things too. 
So um, the book is uh, about my life. It's about my life as an NFL player, college, high school, you know, and just about my life in general. I mean, it has a lot of stories. It has a lot of stories in there. It just talks about, um, starts off talking about an, an incident that happened when I was in Indianapolis. I played for the Indianapolis Colts. And the book opens up with that, um, where we had to go to the to the owner's party. He used to make us go to, to his party, but they'd find you for not going to his party. And his party was in his barn at his house in Indiana. And this is in the wintertime in December. So it was his Christmas party. And, uh, and you know, Bob Ursay was an alcoholic. You know, he was, he was an alcoholic. So, um, you know, you never know what would come out of his mouth. You know, and so he, he, he proceeds to tell me and some other guys a joke. He said, comes up and says, I'm going to tell you guys a joke. I'm going to tell you guys a joke. Comes over here, he got the two guys with him, the two, like we call him, he call, we call him his handlers, got his two handlers with him. And his joke starts off, you know, you got a, you got a kike, you got a wetback, and you got a nigga. That's, that's exactly how he starts his joke off. And I said, I said, fuck that. I said, I'm out of here. And they're like, oh God, sorry, 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 sorry. It, you know, they, they twist him off and, and uh, next day they had me come in. Everything was sorry about Mr. Ursay. You know, he's you know, you know, he said some things. He was drinking. You know, he's not a uh, racist. I'm like, man, that's just no excuse for that. And that's kind of how the book starts. Just kind of it kind of goes through through stuff in in my life. You know, as a like I said, as a player and as a black athlete, as a black athlete. You know, you, I think people think that when you're an athlete, you're successful. or think you're successful. They think you have it easy. And uh, I never had it easy. I mean, nothing has ever been given to me ever. I mean, everything I have, I've earned, and I know I've earned it. I never. I'm not a person asked somebody to give me something, do something to me. I don't mind working for it. But so, you know, that's kind of the story of my life. But, you know, I'm I'm proud of it and I'm glad I did it. Is there a message that you really want to get out to younger players or the future players of the NFL? You know, for the younger players in the NFL, um, you know, I, I got to get it. I get a, I get I give credit what credit is due. The NFL has done some really good things. They really have. They They've helped players kind of adjust after playing football. You know, they gave them different outlets and, you know, different programs they're trying to help players with. Because when we played, they, we had nothing like that. You know, once you're done, it was like you just a piece of meat, you know, get out of here or, you know, you yesterday's garbage. That's that's the way it was. Uh, today, they try to, you know, have programs for players. Um, they have, um, if you have a mental issue, they try to help you with some of the mental issues you have. Because, you know, you players do have mental issues. I mean, we really do. I think as a as a black man, I can tell you growing up, as a kid, you know, black people, we didn't look at it. We didn't think that. We didn't think like that. You know, psychiatrists, I mean, you don't even know, you don't, the first thing, you don't even know psychiatrists, you know, that's what a mother, we don't even know, see, he should have, he should have got his ass whipped when he was a kid. Yeah, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't need, that's not the thing that we thought, but, but, but you do have uh, black athletes and black people that have mental problems. They, they really, just like anybody else, we're human. So they've done a good job of that. They've done, they've done some great things, trying to protect the players. They've done good jobs at that. But what, you know, I think the NFLPA and the NFL itself has not done a good job of is, is taking care of their players, making their players feel like they are, they're still a part of the game and they, when, when they want to be. They make them feel like, like I said, like like they want to just be disposed of, right, a family. They have that slogan, we're family. That slogan is bullshit. You know, the only family is is the, is the players. The play, We feel like family. We really do because, you know, we know what it's like out there. You know, these those, those people in the offices that wear the suits and, you know, and and, and the secretaries and, and all, they don't know what it's like. They have no idea. Some of the guys have no idea what it's like to even put on a uniform. If you took a uniform apart and put it, laid it out, they couldn't put it together. It's just like taking an M16 and driving it down in front of me. I couldn't put that M16 together because I've never been in the military. But, you know, I can sit in Congress and talk about, oh, we should do this, we should do that. You know, we, we, you know, we know what it's like. You've never been in the battlefield. So you, they don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, I say some, some of those parts of the National Football League, they dropped the ball on. I mean, and, you know, like, 
the healthcare issue. I mean, players should have healthcare for the rest of their lives because these guys who have healthcare for five years that, you know, the NFL PA is set up, DeMar Smith was a joke. Um, think about it. If you're five years out of the league, you most of the guys are gonna be like 35, 30, you know, maybe 40. Your problems don't start till later. Your problems start when you're like 50, 55, 60, 70, and you have no health care, you can't afford health care. So it's so many things that that they that they've dropped the ball on. But like I said, it's, it's some things that the NFL personally has done a good job on. And for players, young players, I would tell a young player is like, look, don't get into something you don't know, you don't understand. Don't listen to your boy Pookie over here, a, a little a little dead man. He got a deal for you because they don't know what they're talking about. They're gonna take your money. You know, they 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 they're. they're some of these friends that the guys run around with, I know they're your boys when you're in high school and stuff, but some of those guys are not good for you. Not, and it's the truth. I mean, you have to separate yourself from that because we as black athletes, you know, some we're revered by, by a lot of people, black and white, not just black athletes. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, we have to, you have to do better. You know, you set a standard. You, if you want, you, you think, I always look back, right. Would you want your kid, you know, driving drunk and hit and kill somebody? Would you want your kid assaulting a woman? You know, would you want your kid doing that kind of stuff? No, you wouldn't. I can say for me, I thank God. My mother, when I left Texas, she said to me two things. Don't go out there and embarrass yourself and don't go out there and embarrass me. You know, and I never did. Like, I thank God I've never been arrested and done that kind of stuff. I hope I never do knock on wood. You know, um, I just tried to make my mother proud. I mean, that was my thing. Tried to make her proud of me um and 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 my and my my hometown so i tell all these young guys man you're gonna be an old man a lot longer you're gonna wear that nfl uniform and i'm living proof <laughs> i was actually it's funny you touched on that one of my um co-workers when i told him um that i was gonna have you on the show he was like you have to he's from east texas and he was like you have to ask him about growing up in east texas and what that was like compared to um all of this and i'm like <laughs> okay so i guess what was <laughs> um what was it like being such a big name in such a small town uh it was different it really was and because you know i was always grounded i mean look i my, my dad i was adopted i was legally adopted um that's in my book also. Um, I mean, I was raised by my great, great aunt and my, and my dad, her husband, my dad. And my dad was the best man I knew. I mean, still to this day, I wish I could be more like him. Um, uh, it was, you know, it's not a lot to do. <laughs> I mean, for us, it was going to the 7-Eleven, uh, <laughs> cow tipping and all that kind of stuff, you know. Cow tipping, it yes. Lot, cow tip, it wasn't a lot to do, I got to say, because I'm from a small town. At that time, it was 2,000 people. It's a lot bigger now. But, you know, I love growing up in Texas. Texas high school football was, it was everything. I think it still is the best football, high school football in the country. Um, you, you make, you're, you're a star at a young age. Um, the thing is, is that my, I go by my old high school coach told me, Ron Meyer, he says, uh, don't start reading those clips cause you start believing that stuff and then the, the press will turn on you. So I've never been big on reading the, the, the articles that people write good or bad. I mean, and I can say that good or bad, you know, I've had good articles written, I had bad articles written and, and I just don't read them. And I think I, I read I read one just the other day. A guy wrote. Uh, he asked me to read it because I talked to him for a couple of hours. I mean, like at least a nice an hour about it. And it was a good article. I said I said it was a good article. I don't like to read articles. Um, and it goes back to when I was playing. Um, go, go back to high school football. It goes back to high school when I got um, you know recruited by SMU. I was recruited by every school. I was the number one recruit in the nation from a small school. Ended up going to SMU. Uh, didn't play well my first year. Didn't play well my first year. You know, I was, you know, struggled. You know, I was a freshman. 
And uh, the media said that they should take my scholarship. You know, I was a bust. They should take my scholarship away. And so I, I never was a media darling. I mean, I never trusted the media, never liked the media from that point on. So, um, but for me, like I said, growing up in Texas, I love it. I'm a Texan still, even though I live in Southern California. I have, I still have my Texas driver's license. I just got my new license renewed. So, see, and, I'm in uh, uh, Texas, and I still have my California driver's license. So I'm, <laughs> I'm getting that face. Yeah, <laughs> so we're so, switching. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, back to your book, really quick. Um, in your memoir, you mentioned how you woke up to what other players were making. Um, do you think that the NFL is headed towards a reckoning? Um, you know, the the star running backs declining for the option of doing the position um, as a committee and teams are looking at drafting star running backs that have to be on rookie contracts and not signing them to bigger deals um, once their deal's up and then moving on to the next college back. So, um, you know, running backs, one of positions more prone to getting injured. Um, do you think we'll see a pushback from young players who've, you know, wrecked their bodies and never really got their big payday. You know, it's unfortunate that uh, they have these these contracts in places, place where uh, a running back, a lot of running backs can't get the, the big payday. I mean, uh, I did. It was, a, it was a good big payday back in those days. I mean, I never got it from the Rams. I got it from the Colts, you know, four years later, but I was still producing. That was the thing. Uh, running back today, they... I, they're not built like we were built. I mean, I was built to carry the ball 30 times. I could do it. I didn't miss my first game till my seventh year. It was because of a hamstring injury. Um, you know, I just think it's unfair to lock a kid in for four years. And sometimes it's like, that's that's the height of his career. That could be it. I mean, he, he may play great for four years. And after that fifth or sixth year, they start to drop off. And then they don't want to pay him. They make you play those four years under a rookie contract. But Yet they pay, you know, the, the quarterbacks different salaries. You know, they, they pay them differently. I mean, they can come in like they can they can struggle for three years and then kind of hit their stride in their fifth or sixth year. Well, that's not pretty much not going to happen for a running back. I wish they changed that. I wish they pay the guys, you know, let the guys have a, you know, if it's a three year deal, a two year deal, you know, but make, make it make it enough money where to me, like it's life changing. I'll say that much because because look. The owners of the National Football League is making life-changing money. I mean, it really is. I mean, with, with, with gambling in place, I said this years ago, they're going to get gambling. But, you know, no one wanted to believe me or hear it. Uh, they have gambling. Yeah, they, you know, they, they, you know, that's another, that's probably another $20 billion to the National Football League. Maybe more. I mean, it could be even more. But, but you know, I think that, you know, you hear this about, my running back is this, running back that. These guys start that talk, you know. I say again, never played the position. I mean, um, it's just unfair. I don't know if it'll ever change because the thing is, our union is not strong enough. I mean, we don't, we don't have the right people in place. If you, if you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna deal with a with a with a lion, I'll use that. If you wanna deal with a lion, you have to have someone that has that same killer instinct to deal with that lion. Another lion knows how to deal with a lion. You know, not a kitty cat. You know, not a Rottweiler. You know. You know, a a a, 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 little, a little child, a human with nothing in his hand. A lion knows how to deal with another lion, and that's the people that that should be making, helping make decisions for us. Like I use, I'm gonna use Warren Buffett for instance. Let's use Warren Buffett. When Warren Buffett's a brilliant businessman, Warren Buffett, and let's just say, I'm gonna use him and say, ten people like him should be negotiating against the NFL. 
real business people, not these bozos like Demar Smith that sell you out, that has no idea he's trying to put a pay, put a pot paycheck in his pocket. Guys like Warren Buffett, those businessmen, they don't need it. We want to help the players. We're trying to help you. That is where I think the NFL should have looked and should be looking to, uh, because if, if not, it's never going to change. I mean, it's never going to change. I mean, you're going to always pay, you know, um, the quarterback the most money. And, you know, just make it plain. So, I mean, a lot of the white players, the white quarterbacks going to make most of the money. I mean, that, that's what it is. I mean, a guy said this to me um, three weeks ago. I did an interview and he talked about the pension and, and uh, the, the disability um, and insurance. He said, Eric, he said, I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white reporter. I knew he was white. He said, if the National Football League was 70, 80% white, he said, you wouldn't have this problem. He said, I'm saying that. <laughs> I said, you said it, I didn't. We know it. I mean, we, we know it. I mean, I didn't say it. He, he, he said it to me. So, you know, that's just that's just how this world is. That's how, that's how the league is. That's how they set it up. But we've done nothing about it. I mean, the players have all the power. I mean, when I say all the power, they have all the power. Every bit of it. They don't realize it. I mean, even we didn't realize it back in the day because we didn't we didn't have great leadership. I mean, when I look at it, if if the players really want to do something, you're talking about you know having a strike. You know when you strike, you strike like week sixteen or seventeen, and no playoffs. We're not, we're not playing. You can't make us play. We didn't got our paychecks for the whole year. Now we're not playing. Now, we know we're not gonna do no playoffs. All of a sudden, because panic's gonna set in. You. Can, we got a playoff game coming up next week. We have no players. What are we going to do? We don't have time to go get enough scab players or whatever you want to call them. I mean, yeah, that's how, that's how you, that's how you make change. Do you think the players just don't realize it at the time? Like you're saying, like when you're in it, it's kind of hard to realize that that's when you have the power because you're just so invested in the game and the sport. I think that we don't have guaranteed contracts is another thing. And we don't have great leadership. That's what it comes. You don't have you don't have people to really explain it to you. To have a real game plan in place. The main thing is 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 getting the players to stick together. They they won't stick together. I mean, when I tried to do the thing with the Hall of Fame, helping the Hall of Famers get you know a stipend for being Hall of Famers, getting probably having health care for health health care for life. You know, they vilified me like I was like I'm like what the hell am I getting out of it? But a bunch of headache. I mean, I'm like, if I'm getting I'm gonna get the same thing y'all get. I mean, it's it's no it's no it's no different for me. But you know, they don't want to hear that. I mean, and so. You can't get players to stick together. You really can't. Out of, say, the, the 100 players that I talked to, maybe 15 or 20 want to do it. But I'm going to tell you the real champions of, 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 of this story is the wives, the girlfriends who are stuck with our old asses, broke down, beat up. We're not the man we used to be, but the women, the good women who stand there with their husbands. I mean, and they're I've caring seen, for I've you and the patients. Yeah. Right. I I've I've seen it. I've seen it. And and it's really it's really sad that they put a put a good woman or a good wife in those kind of predicaments. So from your point of view of looking at low paychecks not worth risking the injury that can change your life, um, do you think that a minor league in football is even possible? Well, I think I think it's possible because you know, look. Everyone's not going to play professional football. That's just not the fact. You, you're not. You're not. You're not cut out for it. Uh, everyone can't. They can't make that cut. I mean, um, some guys just want to play football. They want to have a chance to do, do it again. They, they're willing to take that risk to play. They want to play ball. They they want to. Um, so it's it's a place for it. It really is. I think it's a place for it. I mean, some guys have to have two, you know, like two jobs. They can play football and have another job. But that's how it was when we played. 
believe it or not, you know, guys played pro football and they played played in the NFL and they had jobs in the summertime, selling cars or working in an insurance company or had their own kind of small business or whatever it was, car washes, gas stations. Yeah, I do I do believe it's a spot for it because some of yeah, I do believe I believe it's, I believe it's a place because a lot of those players they love the game so much. They a game they want to play. They want to they want to continue to play, but they'll never make it to to that level of playing professional football. Um, like with that, the USL launches this spring, and then the XFL is kind of you know eyeing a comeback. Um, but do you think those leagues can really come back? I mean, what they can offer is kind of pennies. Um, they just can't offer as much. So, would you say it's worth? the risk for the players who do want to make it to the next level? Well, some guys, yeah. I mean, look, if, I think this, if the NFL is backing you, if you got backing from the NFL, if you have the right sponsors or you have someone with enough money to do it, most definitely, I think I think it's worth it. Uh, like you, have, you, have, you have minor league baseball teams. You have uh, G League basketball teams. So football should be no different. I mean, it just it's just a – a more brutal sport have the relationships with sponsors and athletes evolved since your day um and i can't help think of the carrot cake when i ask this <laughs> uh yeah man has it for sure i mean most definitely i mean like sponsorships were small back in the day some were bigger than others i mean michael jordan set the trend for sure with nike uh he, he chose the right brand the brand chose him uh both they chose each other and i think it was, it was a great fit um Walter Payton was with Kangaroo. Like they're not even around anymore when I played. And and uh, the, the, since you're talking about the carry cake, I'll tell you the whole story. My friend Walter Payton, he he was with uh, Kangaroo, and he broke Jim Brown's uh, all-time rushing record. Um, I think of sixteen thousand yards, whatever it was. And he got a he got a Lamborghini from uh, from uh, Kangaroo. And when I broke OJ's uh, rushing record um, for rushing for a single season or two thousand yards, I got a carry cake. And I'll never forget it. You know, they they came to the complex, and this is Adidas is my Adidas was my sponsor. The hell, man, they still owe me something. Golly, a freaking cake! It's just so embarrassing. I mean, really think about that a cake. Like I'm, it was a bad cake. I'm like I'm eight <laughs> years old. Do you even like yeah. carrot cake? I can't. I'm allergic to. I'm allergic to nuts. I can't even eat the damn cake. So they brought the cake over, and they had it sitting out there with, with candles, like I was like it was a birthday, like I was a birthday. I mean, it was so. I mean, think about that. I mean, kidding me. And the guy's like, man, I know this is a joke, isn't it? <laughs> I know it's I a can see you somewhere. sitting there with your arms crossed like, <laughs> like I, was, no. I was really like baffled by it. So, you know, that's what I got for, for my for my accomplishment of going for 2,000 yards. I got, I got a carrot cake. Like I tell you before, nothing's never been given to me. I got to earn everything. <laughs> so I guess I earned my carrot cake that I never ate. But yeah, the the, the sponsorships have changed for players so much, uh, especially in basketball. I mean, it's after after change but football has changed also for sure i mean and i'm happy for players I'm, I'm really happy for the players i mean because look you only gonna have this this opportunity once to be young you know and then after a while you know they move on to the next young guy that is a really interesting perspective does it make you feel more or less significant or just kind of like a way of life or at least it's i've done as much as i could with my spotting it all yeah. you know it, it, it and i feel like it is what it is i mean hey i'm not i'm not i'm not a i'm not a bitter player like i'm not that guy that's bitter about things not at all hey i played in the era i played in i'm, I'm and i'm glad i played in that era i really am um do i think when things wish things would have been different would do i wish they'd have paid me right you know playing for la and i would have never left la of course i do but it didn't work out like that you know 
I was the I was the second pick in the draft. Elway was first. I was second. Elway was making a million dollars. I'm making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, you, you, that's a that's a big that's a big drop off. Yeah, next to my my year for two thousand yards, I was making two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just it's, it was just it was different. I mean, it was really different, and and the way they paid us, and the way they treated the players, we had no we had no outlet, we had no we had no free agency, but that's how the league was back then, and and the league is you know came full circle. I just feel like this, just to me, there's two things that really bother me about the National Football League. Not guaranteed contract and health care for the rest of your life for players. I feel like though if they got those things right and and a, and, a, and a real pension, a real proper pension for players, uh, I think if they got those three things right, we'd be the players would be happy with the league. The league. I think it's, it's it's sad that that you look at a sport that you play, you love so much, in a sense you despise it. You don't despise the sport. You despise the way you treat it. You know. You don't. You don't. You love. I love the sport. I still love football. I mean, I don't like watching it, but I love I love the sport. I mean, when I was playing, I loved everything about it. I mean, I won't forget when it came time of football season, I could smell it in the air. It was a smell about, you know. It's a way of life, you know. It's yeah, such a huge part of your life, life, and it's right. It's always going to be there, you know. What's the most ridiculous and outlandish gift you've gotten in your career? Um, so, so we know you've gotten some funny gifts over the years. I mean, that um, I bought for myself or what? Or somebody um, No, that you've. So we could do, we'll do two, gotten for yourself and then also just been given. So not the carrot cake, that one, we've already covered that, but we know about, and this can be college or pro, but we, we know about the gold Trans Am, <laughs> um, loved that. Um, if you want to tell that story, feel free as well. But then after, um, I want to hear the most ridiculous gift you've, uh, been given and then sh- bought for yourself as well. Well, the gold Trans Am. Everybody talks about the gold Trans Am, and they they don't they don't have it right. I, I, I try to explain it, but they don't seem to get it. The Trans Am was bought by my grandmother, and I said that from day one. You know, and, that, and that's all I knew. I knew that from day one. I mean, I was a kid, so we go down to to Leo Johnny and Pontiac because I saw the car you know riding by the freeway. And this particular day, she said, she said "Your grandmother want to meet us in Houston. We're gonna meet at the at the at the car dealership." Now, my grandmother was different from my mother because they thought they, they thought I'm talking about the same person because my mother was older, but my grandmother lived in Houston with my grandfather. So uh, we go down to Leo Johnigan, uh, see the car, and they asked me to go out to drive. And some other white men, I didn't know who they were. I mean, I knew a couple of guys, one guy from Seeley. Uh, this, this, my, my hometown is an Aggie town. It's an Aggie, it's Aggie, Aggie town. So make a long story short, uh, a couple of hours, maybe an hour later, they said, okay, you take, gave me the keys, it's yours. I'm like, what <laughs> i got the car so i took the car and i was excited too that's my mom I said i mean God, you know i get the car she said, she said don't worry about it she said you, you, you ain't never got to worry it's gonna never be that's gonna never come back on you that's what she said and it never it, it, they tried to it tried it tried to because the ncaa came in the, the pretty much the, the next day a couple of days later to, to, to interview me about the trans am and i told him hey you gotta go talk to my mother and my grandmother about it they came to my school i was in i was in lab class and the guy, the guy came to the door I said, hey, can I, I asked, can, can you speak to Eric Dixon? And, and the teacher said, yeah, Eric, can you come up here for a second? Guy, I want to talk to you outside. So sure enough, it was a guy from the NCAA, a uh, black guy, black guy. And I told him, you know, mom, you go, I'll meet you after school. But my mother is, you know, he talked to my mother, my grandmother. So we took him home. He talked to my mom and my mother called my grandmother on the phone and they talked. And they, this man, that man stayed around for, I'm serious, over a month. Almost every day, even on the weekends, even on the weekends, he was there. He, he became there so much that he sometimes would even eat dinner with us at, at home. 
probably a violation, really. So anyway, at the end, I mean, it was, it was probably like, I don't know, like say 30 days. My grandmother, which is in Houston, said, hey, look, we got enough of this. If, if we see you anymore, see this NCAA stuff, we're going to sue you personally, and we're going to sue the NCAA. Boom, never saw him again. Uh, and I found out later how the car was purchased, um, which my mom, my grandmother told me. My mom told me first. She told me. I said, Mom, because I never asked. I asked, but she never told me. I was in the pros. So she said, look, she said, your grandmother bought that car. She said she paid for that car. She said, and your grandfather paid for it. They had the money for it. And she said, then uh, Texas A&M gave him the money back. They got the money back. And so they said it was a wash for the car. They gave him cash back. So that's how the car was bought. So boom, my grandmother bought the car. Just like I said. She bought the car, yeah. She bought the car. <laughs> yeah, I think then, I think about the, it's true. It's a true story. So I think the most outlandish thing for me that I ever bought myself, uh, everything. Um, but first of all, I mean, I like, I like some things I did. I bought a Testarossa. I always wanted a Testarossa. But after I saw Miami Vice, I bought a Testarossa. Ferrari. Man, I love that car. Even though it rode like a tractor. <laughs> um, but I think, they, you know, I think the funny thing, I bought, I wanted, I always wanted a mink coat. <laughs> I wanted a full-length mink. <laughs> and, and I had a, I bought a full-length mink coat. I bought a full-length mink coat that I wore just a couple of times. Uh, I know I went to Chicago. We played the Bears in the NFC Championship game. But I didn't wear it much after that, so that was kind of a waste of, 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 of money and time. But I think the thing I'm most proud of that I bought was uh, I bought my mom her first real car, brand new car. I bought her, I bought her like when I got drafted. I bought her Cadillac because you know that was, the Cadillac was like the black man's, a black woman's. That was like our Mercedes Benz. You know, I got a, I, I bought a Cadillac. I got a, it was a Cadillac Saint Deville is what it was called. It was red and white. It was a four door. I bought a bought of that. And then I built a house for her. I built a house in Texas. I built my mom a house. Um, and I still have that. I still have that house. As a matter of fact, this got just messed up in water. So I'm re, it's getting redone. But it's it's a really nice house. I'm, I'm really proud. You know, I'm really proud of the things that I did for my, my mother. I'm, I, I can say that. I said that in my book. Um, and look, I, there's a few things that I can say about myself. I wouldn't, I wasn't perfect. I mean, I was not the perfect guy all the time. You know, but I tried, I tried to be as good as I possibly could be, but I didn't say this much. And I can stand on this. I was a good son. I was I was a really good son to my mother and, and my dad was passed away. And I'm proud to be able to say that because I always wanted to be a good son. And then, and for your mom to say that, it's not about the, the things I bought her, just about the respect factor I had because I never talked back to her. I mean, there was times I don't forget she would get on me when I was grown. I mean, yell at me. And, and I, ooh, I was so mad, but I wouldn't say nothing. I said, Mama, don't talk to me like that. You don't tell me how to talk to you. I mean, what could that guy? I couldn't say nothing else. And but I was respectful to my mother, and I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I was a good son. You are a proud mama's boy, and we love it <laughs> very much, very much. So it takes a very strong woman to raise, you know, a strong man. So I feel like you're the byproduct of that. Most of my mother was very strong. I can say, man, some of the stories in my book you'll see if you ever read it. Woo. Man, she was she <laughs> she was a trip, but but she didn't take no mess. I mean, because got to stand. my mother was born in, in she was born in 1904 you know she was uh because like i could say i was adopted i was legally adopted by my great great aunt she was born in 1904 and she would tell me she said, eric let me tell you something son see i'm not telling you what i heard i'm telling you what i saw with my own eyes eric she said i'm telling you i saw the white man hang black men i saw it i saw him cut their privacy out and stick it in their mouth i saw it with my own eyes i saw him turn feather because it was a little white girl that i liked her name was sheila sheila thomason from Cedar. and i forget my mother it was different. That's, that's her life, right? That's the history. If you see the, the real history of the United, what happened in the United States was was her. 
she would say they'd have their way with the black women, which meant rape a black woman. Cause it was a lot of, like my mother, like she was really like, she looked like a little white lady. She looked like a little white lady. My mother was half white. She said, I'm not white. She'd be, I'm not white, <laughs> but she really was. But, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was so many things. Like before, like the girl I liked, Sheila, Sheila. And she's told me, she said, look, son, let me tell you something, I'm not having that area. She says, two things don't live long in this world. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what are those things? She said, dogs that chase cars and Negroes that chase white women. They don't have long lives. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny, but, it, you know, I still laughed at it. But, you know, that's just, that, that was her belief. On that note, we are, um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. Um, and I'm so excited to, I can't decide if I'm going to read or listen to your book. <laughs> I feel like I'd like the audio with your voice. Cause you, you like, probably, you'd be, you probably like the, you probably like the audio. Better. Yeah. Cause I, mean, I feel I, like I the audio, it. we need some personality of you in it. Um, so, so I'll probably be like going a little jog or something listening, but, um, for everyone else, please go and buy Eric's book either via audio or, um, you know, paperback, hardcover, anything like that. Um, so excited for you and thank you for being the best guest. Um, and make sure to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays for new episodes of Game Changers. But thank you so much, Eric. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell your dad I said hello. I will. I will.